Hi, everyone, and welcome to Remaking Tomorrow, a series of conversations about the future of teaching and learning. I'm Ryan Radzeski, here with Greg Baer, and we're the co-authors of When You Wonder, You're Learning, Mr. Rogers' Enduring Lessons for Raising Creative, Curious, Caring Kids. This is a podcast powered by Remake Learning, a network that ignites engaging, relevant, and equitable learning in support of young people navigating rapid social and technological change. On today's episode, we're talking with Kathy Hirsch-Pasek, the Stanley and Deborah Lefkowitz Faculty Fellow of Psychology at Temple University, where she directs the Infant Language Laboratory, a fellow at the Brookings Institution, the American Psychological Association, the American Educational Research Society, and elsewhere. She's published 17 books and more than 250 articles on learning, child development, parenting, play, and beyond. Her latest book, Making Schools Work, Bringing the Science of Learning to Joyful Classroom Practice is the first education book co-written with teachers, administrators, and scientists. Kathy, welcome to Remaking Tomorrow. Thank you. It's such a pleasure to be here. We love having you here. Kathy, in our one book, we don't have 17, <laughs> in our one book, we write that a surprising number of people have their best ideas in the shower. But for you, one of your best ideas came on a lazy Sunday morning before you'd even gotten out of bed. Can you tell us about that big idea, how it came to you, what did you see, and what did you do when the idea hit you? You know, sometimes you have your best ideas when you're focused on something else. And when I woke up one day as someone who's been very interested in how you bridge from the scientific laboratories and all the knowledge that we've gathered in the psychology of trying to understand children. How do you bridge that to the real world? Something that parents can actually use. And I had an insane idea. And the insane idea was, why don't we take over Central Park in New York City and show people that when children are playing, they're actually learning. So that was my crazy idea. And I have to tell you, I called a friend of mine, Andy Ackerman, who was the executive CEO of the Children's Museum of Manhattan. And I said, what do you think of this? And there's complete silence on the other end of the phone. Then he said, you know, it's so insane, it might just work. And on October 10th of 2010, over 50,000 people showed up in Central Park to see 28 very intentional activities, playing with Lego blocks or doing the world's largest Simon Says. And we showed how each of these has so much learning deeply embedded within. And it was a magnificent day that put playful learning on the map. So you have 50,000 people in Central Park for what ultimately became known as the ultimate block party. I'm curious how you walked away from that event thinking differently about play, Kathy. How did that influence your thinking about play's value in society? And maybe you're thinking about our collective craving for play, whether we're kids or adults. Yeah, I think more the latter than the former. I mean, it had been somewhat well-established in the scientific community that human brains learn when they're active, not passive, when they're engaged, not distractive, when it's meaningful. I mean, all this is probably a big duh to parents out there. But when you ask what is the one thing that brings all these together, these features of how human brains learn, it doesn't look like a classroom. It looks like play. And so what I saw in the park that day was that people were craving 
for something new. They wanted to change the lens on how they saw learning. And indeed they did, learning how brains work, learning how kids perform and learn to have impulse control. And they learned to see it through what we call guided play, which is intentional science built in to playful activities that kids then engage in with families. You can watch the minds grow. You can watch the fire in their eyes and you see cognition, academics, and social development just happening. And I'll tell you, it's more important today than it was even in 2010. Kathy, your wonderfully outrageous ideas, like the Ultimate Block Party, have taken root all over this country and across the world. So can you tell us what are playful learning landscapes? What are they? Where are they? What do they offer to kids and family? And can you give us some examples that go beyond the Ultimate Block Party? Absolutely. Well, in the Ultimate Block Party, we had a destination. And I thought it was really important to have the destination of Central Park, New York, because it's so visible and it's so accessible to everyone. You had to have New York City and Central Park. But it was an idea that could travel anywhere. It was an idea that could make its way to Pittsburgh or make its way to Brazil or make its way to Europe because we can build the cognitive science into any space and have placemaking that helps parents and children create the new public square. So let's think about it. What could you do in a supermarket? Well, we actually tried. We put signs in a supermarket that prompted more kinds of conversations and questions about things like eggplants and avocados and what kind of apples there were. It turned out that the parents actually ask more questions of their kids when the signs are up than when the signs are down. And we got a 33% increase in those kinds of conversations that build cognitive capital. That's more than most of the interventions we do in the science. So then we took it to a bus stop. We said, well, why can't you change a bus stop? We built in Philadelphia on a small, small space where Martin Luther King had given one of his first speeches in the Freedom Marches. We built a puzzle because we know that puzzles help children learn the spatial skills that feed math development. Oh my gosh. So we put three puzzles in so that they wouldn't get bored. And each one had two opportunities. So it was kind of ever ready and ever feeding. And when we went to Santa Ana, California, they said, well, in Santa Ana, since the population is Latino, we'd really like to have a game we brought from Mexico. Can we put Loteria at the bus stop? And that, in fact, is what is going on in the bus stop there. So we've done libraries and sidewalks. We've done just about anything you can think of, homeless shelters, and we're moving into low-income housing. Imagine if each of these everyday spaces, hospital waiting rooms, which we've also done, became a new public square where people could have the engaged conversations that help children grow. So you have taken what you've learned at libraries and waiting rooms and grocery stores and bus stops, and you've put it all together and launched something called the Playful Learning Landscapes Action Network. Can you tell us about that network and you know, what is its ultimate vision for developing more playful cities? You might imagine that as a mere scientist, when 50 cities start to call you, you figure, oh my gosh, <laughs> I don't have enough time to teach my classes anymore. We decided to put together a nonprofit 
called the Playful Learning Landscape Action Network that's actually run by a former student of mine and has the most incredible board ever. We are building these all over the world now and we use a simple three-part equation to build them. And the first is really important. You have to go to the people in your community and say, what is it you want? What are you thinking about that would enrich your community? One town in Mexico said, you know, there's a street, a little alleyway that's not so safe for students on their way to school. Can we make this a playful learning landscape? Philadelphia has become a playful learning city. And of course, Pittsburgh, where I went to college and my son still has, I guess there's a towel you use for the Steelers. So you guys actually got a lot of this started. So we are now in 22 cities in 10 countries. We're listening to communities. That's part one of the equation. Part two of the equation, we want to know how children learn. And that's that it should be active and engaged. It should be meaningful. It should be socially interactive. Put the screens away just for a little while. It should be something that's iterative so each time you come back to it, it looks a little bit different. And here's the kicker, it should be joyful. So that's what we mean by the how of learning. But here's what you get as the third part of our equation. You actually get people who are more collaborative, who have better communication skills, who learn their content, who have better critical thinking skills, are more creative and innovative, and who have more confidence and are willing to give new ideas a try. And we call those the six C's. Kathy, we're gonna come back to those six C's. Let's talk right now about some results. Because of you and others, we have all sorts of evidence that shows why playful learning matters. The sorts of things that you've discussed are boosting adult-child interaction, they're boosting children's language abilities, and often they're getting great results at next to no cost. So what does play do for kids? And, and why should we take play as seriously as we take, say, reading and math? The six C's that we came up with were both an invention that came out of the consensus in the scientific literature, and this is gonna sound crazy, but here it is, what business executives are talking about. This is who people wanna hire. So the goal, was to really come up with a cradle-to-career idea of what counts as success. And then how do you get there? When you are playing, you're generally playing with someone else. Not always. Doesn't mean it always has to be. But a lot of times you are. So you're building those social skills and the relationships that are so fundamentally important to being a human being and knowing how to socially navigate. Today we've gotten away with that because we are watching screens a lot, and we have what many people have called a loneliness epidemic. So collaboration is really important. Built on collaboration is communication, or the ability to talk with one another, to listen to one another. And as you can tell from the political arena, we're not so good at that right now. And we need to get better if we're going to move forward. Content. Well, when you're doing a puzzle, you're learning spatial skills that feed math development. You're learning about how to build patterns. Even if all you're doing is arranging different kinds of leaves, you're doing pattern making. We used to have a game in our house, which was called, where do you want to go to dinner? Because I had three sons and nobody liked the same food. It was terrible. <laughs> so every night we had this game and they had to communicate what their needs were. All right, so my little guy used to always say he wanted pizza because it was really the only food he liked. 
and everybody would usually consent. You know, it has a milk component, so that's good. It has tomatoes, you know. So he went on and on about, here's my fiber, here's my fruit. Okay. So he got into fourth grade, and he said to me, Mom, you wouldn't believe what we learned today. I said, what was it? He said, we learned the five-paragraph essay. And I said, yeah. He says, everybody's struggling with it but me. And he said, don't you remember we used to play that game, what do you want for dinner? That was a five-paragraph essay. <laughs> so you can see that in play, you learn a lot. All right, so you're learning content. You're learning critical thinking, creative innovation, putting things together in new ways. All those recipes that great chefs try, they're playing in the kitchen. Well, now they have some knowledge to get them started. But that's really how they move forward. And we all play, as I said, as scientists. We play as executives to try to figure out what the next great idea is. And here's where we often get stuck, on the last sea of confidence. A lot of people are afraid to give it a try. They're afraid to be wrong. And in fact, our school system reinforces that there's a one right answer and you gotta get the right answer on the test. But the greats fail many times and build perseverance and build drive and build their curiosity as they're going to the best idea. Einstein always said he failed many times and so did Edison before they had their great discoveries. So the six C's, collaboration, communication, content, critical thinking, creative innovation, and the confidence to give it a try, really move us forward on success. And that's how we define success in the 21st century. This is Ryan Rudzeski along with Greg Baer. We're talking with Kathy Hirsch-Pasek, a professor of psychology at Temple University and the author of dozens of books and articles. Kathy, among the many reasons that we admire you is that you not only put great, outrageous ideas into the world, but you seek to apply those. So it's not just those classroom teachers or youth workers and others applying the six C's. You're making them happen in the world. You're bringing them to life and fruition. And the Lego Foundation awarded you and your team $20 million to support your efforts. That's amazing. So can you tell us about that work, that study that you're helping to lead? What do you and the teachers you're working with hope to accomplish? We hope to accomplish a lot. You know, we live in 2023. A year ago today, none of us had heard of ChatGPT. Today, pretty much everyone has heard about generative AI and ChatGPT. The world is changing so, so quickly. And our school systems have been fashioned for a world that really came about in the Industrial Revolution. So what we're trying to do is to help schools rethink how they can create a pedagogical approach to help every child succeed. And the Lego Foundation graciously awarded this grant for a national team to work with, and this is really important. We are working with teachers, we are working with administrators. We're asking, taking all the knowledge that we have as scientists, as teachers, as administrators, what works and what doesn't? And can we put that into practice as a pedagogical approach in classrooms? So we're going to be doing a five-year study and the study is called the Active Playful Learning Study. And we are so thrilled just to be a part of this grant. 
and I hope we'll get the changes we're looking for. Just one more metaphor for what we're trying to do. You know, for many years, we used to have horse and buggies. And you could say, I can make the wheel on the horse and buggy better by putting rubber on it. And you can say, well, I think I can change the steering apparatus of the horse and buggy. But the truth is, at the end of the day, the horse and buggy got outmoded for its time. And it's time that we move on and that we ask if we were to start fresh in what business leaders call a greenfield experiment, what would, what could education look like to prepare all of our children for the jobs that you in the business community want to fill in the future? Kathy, speaking of putting our heads and our hands together, so much of your work, your books, your articles, lots of your on-the-ground efforts, so much of that has been done with your longtime collaborator, Roberta Golenkoff. Mm-hmm. I have a two-part question for you, Kathy. First, can you tell us about Roberta and what makes her so special? And two, do you have any advice perhaps for two other co-authors? What is the key to such a long and successful partnership? Well, first I would just tell you that Roberta is one of the kindest, smartest, most innovative women I've ever met. Second, I'll tell you that we're best friends. I love working with Roberta. We respect each other's brilliance and we also respect each other's differences and dumb ideas. <laughs> and sometimes when, you know, I come up with a very outrageous idea like Ultimate Block Party, Roberta too has a little silence on the phone on the other end, but then she says, let's go do it. I think a great collaboration is not unlike a great marriage. It's recognizing that you really want to make things work and that you really deep down respect each other, not only in your head, but in your heart. And that as friends, there's nothing you can't do together. And I'll always say that working with others helps everything become better. Most of life is a team sport, not a solo adventure. Kathy, we want to close our conversation today as playfully as possible. So we're going to have you enter the lightning round of questions. Are you ready for this? Weehaw! All right. Your favorite way to play as a kid? To make inventions. Like I used to bend hangers so that it could start to make my bed without my having to make my bed myself. Somehow I was convinced of that. I created a band. I was very excited about that when I was a little kid. And I got all of my friends in the neighborhood to come over and play different instruments. That means the pots to blow into bottles, that kind of instruments, nothing that cost any money. And I loved kickball. All right. Favorite way to play as a grown-up? Well, I have to tell you that for my recent 70th birthday, my kids threw me a 10-year-old birthday party because my brother and I have birthdays a week apart. And my mom thought it was a brilliant idea to have our birthday party on the same day when I was 10 and he was 8. And that was not a brilliant idea because I missed my 10th birthday. (laughs) So my kids were so wonderful. And they made a 10th birthday for me where we had people doing the face makeup stuff or face painting. And we had somebody who was doing Red Rover, Red Rover. So we had gym class and we mucked around in art class and we had science experiments. And I still love doing all of that. You earned your bachelor's degree at the University of Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh being the real-life home of Mr. Rogers. Yep. Your most formative moment from your time in Pittsburgh. 
well, I have to say my most formative time was meeting the most wonderful man in the world who I am still married to. So Jeff Pasek was my most formative time. Well, and that formative moment led to another formative moment, uh, the birth of at least one of your kids. So your favorite song written by your son, Benj, who's won a Grammy, a Tony, and dozens of other awards for his music. Well, you know, I like so many of his songs. I really mean that. I really do. And I just want to say at the outset, and I'm not just saying this, my other two sons are equally creative. They just don't live in a glass bowl. But of Benj, I'd have to say it's a million dreams from The Greatest Showman. Because I think I live my life that way, you know, just imagining in your head what can be and then putting that into practice. A million dreams are in my head. Kathy, how can people find out more about the work you're doing? There are lots of ways. If you go onto my website, which is kathyhirschpasick.com, that's one way to learn about what we're doing. Please go visit playfullearninglandscapes.com where you can see the efforts. And Greg, you've been a part of these efforts as well. And I think you'll enjoy seeing some of the pictures there. And if you want to know more about what we're doing in schools, it's activeplayfullearning.com. Kathy, before we go, just one more question. Apart from putting The Greatest Showman on repeat in the kitchen, (laughs) what's one thing that parents and educators can do today to make tomorrow a more promising place for every learner? I'm trying to start a little revolution right now, which is adult recess, so you can help me with this. I think we all need a little bit more recess in our life, and I think we need in that recess to give ourselves a little more time. Time to do nothing, time to do something silly, and time to be with our friends while we're doing it. I think we all miss it, and play will bring a lot of that back. Thanks again to Kathy Hirsch-Pasek, the Stanley and Deborah Lefkowitz faculty fellow at Temple University, an author, a scientist, and a champion for a more joyful, more playful world. Remaking Tomorrow is powered by Remake Learning. Learn more at remakelearning.org.